We're going to read it from Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them. In the breaking of the bread, the word of life. You may be like me and you've heard that story before. Perhaps you have read it several times. It is a wonderful story with so much detail and description about these two disciples who were leaving Jerusalem and going home toward Emmaus. But as I was working through this text for our time here today, there's a sentence that stood out to me that sort of illuminated that I'd never really noticed before. It happens in verse 17, if you still have your scriptures open there. The stranger comes up with them, asks them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And then before they can answer, Luke adds this comment. They stood still, looking sad. They stood still, looking sad. So 
so often when I read a story like this of something fantastic like a resurrection appearance, I get caught up in asking questions like, why didn't they recognize him? What kind of body must he have been in that they didn't even recognize him? Well, why does he appear to them and then vanish and then reappear in the next scene? But as I was reading over this text this week, that part in verse 17, they stood still looking sad. Help me remember that these are stories of real people reacting and trying to cope with the tragic events swirling all around them. And these events, this experience, the death of their friend has left them feeling sad. They are still working through their grief at the loss of their friend, Jesus of Nazareth. And then they find out that the body is missing. The women come and tell them the body is not where it has been put. And that they've, they've had this vision of angels saying that he is alive. And you kind of get the sense that these two on the road to Emmaus are not sure that they're buying this whole idea that he is alive. That's what the women have said, but they're not so sure. But then the stranger says to them in verse 25 and 26, what's key here, I think, for us to hear today. Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. The implication that Luke is sharing with us as he tells us this story about the disciples on the road is that the suffering of Jesus was a necessary part of the story. That his suffering was somehow a necessary part of what God is doing in the world. And as so often happens when the Gospels tell us something like this about the Messiah, often what they're telling us about the path of the Messiah reveals to us a truth about all of life. And the message that I'm going to suggest we contemplate for a few minutes today is that suffering is indeed a part of all of life and all of our lives. That if we live long enough, we're going to experience pain and suffering and heartache. Now when it comes to me, even though I've read the Gospels and believe what they say, it does not come easy. I prefer the joy over the suffering and the pain. But as I look at my life, and look at your lives, and look across humanity, it does seem to be the case that suffering and pain are a part of what it means to be human. They're a part of our lives. I remember when I was back in college and went to a United Methodist church camp, many young adults from Oklahoma had gathered we were having a retreat over a weekend, and one of the United Methodist pastors who was there leading brought a book with him. It looked like a little storybook with, because of the drawings in it. There were pictures on every page. 
but it brought home the truth that sometimes a children's book or a storybook reveals truth more readily than an essay or a speech. The book was called The Best of All Possible Worlds by Peter DeRosa. It told a story about the characters he called the round folk and their god named Horgoth. It says Horgoth loved his round folk so much that he had created them as perfect spheres and they just rolled through life without any problems, never falling, never stumbling, never a bruise or a skinned knee. Their lives were perfect. Their god Horgoth had created such a beautiful and idyllic space for them to live in and in fact had created beautiful music and was always wafting and playing in the background and just sort of serenaded them as they rolled through life there was no pain there was no suffering there was no death there was no frustration of any kind for these round folk in fact it was such a perfect world there they had golf (laughs) and not only that but um their planet whenever you played golf every time you hit the ball Horgoth saw to it you made a hole in one so you always had a beautiful ending to every hole and every round of golf and Horgoth thought he had created the best of all possible worlds but before long the creatures rebelled They began to get bored and began to complain about their boredom. They had no free will. They had no decisions to make, no judgments to pass. They began to criticize Horgoth and speak to him about changing things. He could not believe it. This was the best of all possible worlds. He had created it. He was a great God. He had taken care of everything. But they cried all the more that they wanted change. He pointed out to them that if he was to make the changes they were calling for, with that would come pain and frustration and suffering and death and evil and sorrow. They cried, give us freedom to suffer. Give us freedom to fail. Let us know what it is to meet a challenge For now our lives have no meaning whatsoever. Horgoth could not believe it. He realized that what they were asking would cause him to take a step back and not always be there to fix any and every little thing. He realized that he would even have to change his creation for he had placed the sun at its zenith. So that every minute of every day was beautiful and sunny and wonderful. After he contemplated what they were asking for a while, he realized that to do that, the sun would have to set. And he thought about it long and hard. And then one day, the round folk noticed that the sun began to move west began to move lower and lower in the sky toward the horizon. In college, when I first heard that story, it really helped me understand what our lives are like. 
and to appreciate the challenges and the frustrations and the decisions and those experiences that stretch us and even to understand suffering in my life and in others to help me realize that to have real meaning and purpose we have to have free will and choice and in that mistakes are going to be made and problems are going to occur and people are going to get hurt and yet it also helped me see that through those kinds of experiences there's a certain richness and depth that comes into our living that we would never know otherwise. That it helps us become all of who we might be. And it helps us experience a depth to our lives that we would never know if we live with the round folk. One writer uses the analogy of a car battery. He says, you know, you have to have both poles for your battery to work. If you disconnect one, your battery's of no use. Your car's not going to start. You have to have the positive and the negative. Without one, there's no energy. There's no charge. You have to have a positive and a negative pull for you to get the energy, for you to get the charge, for your battery to work. In spiritual terms, it brings the energy that leads us to a deeper discipleship this experience of the positive and the negative. Both are required for us to experience all that God has in mind for us. For as Jesus, in the guise of the risen Messiah, says in verse 26, was it not necessary? Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? through suffering to glory, through death to life, through crucifixion to resurrection. Toward the end of this story that Luke tells us about these two disciples walking, looking sad, moving back toward home, still grappling with their grief, their perspective begins to turn as they listen to this one teaching them but it doesn't really all come clear to them until the breaking of the bread not necessarily the sharing of the bread or the eating of the bread i think it's important we notice they recognize him in the breaking of the bread in the broken body in the brokenness of life they see that he is there christ is risen they realize what the women have said is true they get up and race back toward Jerusalem seven miles because they have such great news. They're ready to share it with the others. But when they get there, the others are so excited, they don't even listen for them. They say in verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And then they get to share what happened to them. In verse 35, it says on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of of the bread and all of a sudden you see these disciples who've been scared and in hiding and weighed down by grief that their sadness has turned to joy that their fear has turned to a sense of boldness 
that what they thought was the end, now they realize there's a whole new beginning, a whole new way to understand their lives. The dark clouds of the crucifixion that were surrounding them are blown away by the light dawning of the resurrection. It is the good news of the gospel that Jesus is there with us, the risen Christ is with us, God is with us in the breaking of our lives, in the times of suffering, in our times of fear and frustration. God is there with us. These disciples became sure of that, so sure that they began to proclaim it every time they had opportunity. Reminded me of a story. A fellow had started and created a very successful business, but he was getting on up in years, and so he was ready to retire. He was the CEO. He knew he needed to choose someone to succeed him. He had developed such a strong team. He had many capable executives he thought could take over and would be able to further the work that they were doing. He was struggling with how to choose one of them from the others. And then one day he called all these executives together. And on the table was a bowl with seeds in it. He gave them simple instructions. He said, I want each of you to take one of these seeds, take it home, grow it, and bring it back to me in a year. So they each took a seed and went home. Jim was one of the executives that got a seed. He went home and got some soil and put it in a pot and planted the seed with great care and began to water and fertilize it. He was hoping he would see a sprout in a few days, but there was none. He continued to water and fertilize it, still nothing happening. He changed the soil. He continued to take care of it with great attention, with water and fertilizer and everything he could think of, and yet nothing. No stem, no sprout, no bush, no plant. Well, finally, a year has passed. It's time to go back and meet with the CEO. He has his little pot with nothing but dirt and a seed that has done nothing. He talks to his wife about it and says, I don't even want to go today. This is going to be to grow. After talking with her, he decides that he will go. It's the only honest thing to do, take the pot back and confess that he had failed. So he got in his car with his little pot of dirt and began to drive to work. He said, frankly, he was sort of sick at his stomach as he drove in. He went to the conference room where they were all to meet. And sure enough, one of, after another had these beautiful plants, a, a great array of greenery, so lush and looking so healthy, so bountiful. And he had nothing. So he worked his way to the back of the room, thinking maybe he just wouldn't be noticed. Well, finally, the CEO comes in and begins to walk through the crowd, looking at all these marvelous plants and shaking his head. After he seems to have surveyed everyone, he goes to the front of the room, and then he looks all the way to the back and sees Jim and points at him and motions that he come forward. And now Jim thinks, this is worse than I thought. He's going to humiliate me in front of all my peers. I might even be getting fired right here on the spot. 
once he got there, the CEO asked him what happened. He said, oh, I did just what you asked. I took the seed home. I, I, I planted it with great care. I watered and fertilized. I, I did everything I could think of, but it just never would grow. I didn't even get a sprout. Again, the CEO looked out over all the wonderful plants in front of him. And he said to the executives, I've chosen your new CEO. His name is Jim. And they all began to mutter, what? He didn't grow anything. How could you be choosing him? And the retired CEO then revealed what had happened. He said, I boiled all of your seeds before I put them in that bowl. None of them could grow. Jim here is the only one who had the courage to face reality and bring me back my seed. Sometimes it's hard to face this deep truth about life that the Gospels reveal to us. But failure and pain and suffering are a part of life. Sometimes it's really hard for us to face our own failure, to embrace our own suffering. Sometimes when death comes our way, it's so difficult for us to embrace it. But the Gospels promise us that God is with us, and with God's help, suffering can lead to glory, and that God will see us through. Luke tells us, as he puts this story down on paper about this stranger that they don't recognize that's really Jesus, that he lays out the path for them one more time. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Surely it is a sign of growth for all of us. That when we are in the midst of the clouds, that we still look for the sunshine. That when we're in the midst of the suffering, we still believe that glory is coming. Surely it is a sign of growth to encounter death and still to believe in the resurrection. May each of us grow in this path that the Messiah lays out for us. So that we might be faithful disciples. And hear that proclamation. For the Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.